Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host Dr. Reed Robison and I revisit the concepts of motivation, drive, goal setting, and living a self-actualized life. We've had a couple episodes that have sort of touched on these topics, but we thought uh, because we love these topics, we might revisit them. So this one, uh, this is one of those episodes where I like to blindside read with vulnerable, self-reflective questions. So it gets kind of juicy today, people. Hopefully you enjoy that. We um, even talk about enlightened BDSM practitioners. So as I like to say, brace yourselves. As always, I would be eternally grateful if you went to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube, wherever you listen, and you gave us a five-star review if that's available on that platform or liked or commented. We love hearing from you folks. Uh, it, it'll help me, right? So I can finally sleep soundly at night, knowing that uh, this podcast has earned the approval of its lovely listeners. All right, without further ado, I bring you the episode. Setting goals is stupid. Or at least that is what a mentor of mine growing up tried to teach me. That goal setting was dumb. It was a waste of time. It was amoral. Amoral. Even. Not even amoral. Immoral. That um, it was unenlightened. And it, it led to striving. It led to setting oneself up for disappointment and failure and discouragement. And uh, that it, it tended to engender an impure source of motivation. And instead, this mentor explained that um, in order to vote, motivate myself to achieve, I ought to be motivated by pure love. I ought to be motivated by the desire to contribute to uh, something greater than myself. And that goal setting off too often was about self-aggrandizement and um, about checking off boxes as a way of proving your worthiness. Uh, so there were some nuggets in there that I still think about today, but ironically, this person, um, this mentor of mine was also fairly goal driven. <laughs> so I don't know if they were trying to spare me from the suffering that they experienced, but yeah, I had a lot of early influences around goal, goal setting, um, that I still to this day try to grapple with, you know, now having become a clinical psychologist, having studied human motivation and uh, how people change uh, and how people become satisfied or dissatisfied with where they are in life. I don't know that setting goals is a bad idea, but I think there are probably healthy ways to relate to goal setting and achievement and motivation and drive and probably unhealthy ways. So hmm. I thought it might be fun to just sort of play around with this topic today uh, of drive, goal setting, motivation, and the like. Yeah, I like this uh, little debate um, because I see both sides of the coin and it's one of those kind of dialectics that, you know, I, I consider both sides of this to be true as well. One of the paradoxes of life that balance between effort and ease and striving and non-attachment um mm -hmm. so yeah i kind of also see it like we like intention setting in psychedelic therapy where you plant a seed you you know you set your sights on it 
but then you let go of expectations and attachment to outcome. Um, even though goals will require a little more of that persistent uh, effort over time. And we can talk about those distinctions. Yeah. I think those distinctions are important because I like your, I like your um, sort of connecting goals to intentions for psychedelic therapy. One of the ways we describe those intentions um, in addition to it, planting a seed is a loosely held hope. And some people might argue that with respect to goals, that if you hold on to those too loosely, then you won't achieve them. You know, you have to really strive and hustle and sacrifice everything to accomplish those goals. Um, but there also has been this sort of anti-hustle movement that I've noticed um, that uh, people are, especially young people, are rebelling against the idea that you have to sort of fillet yourself on the altar of productivity in order to achieve the goals that you have for your mm -hmm. life. You know, one of my one of my favorite books by Herman Hesse, Siddhartha. Have you read that? Um, no. There's a there's a quote in there that I think um, strikes me as eerily similar to what your mentor um, was talking about. And um, Herman Hesse in this book, it's Siddhartha speaking, um, aka like it's another take on the Buddha story. But says so when someone is mm -hmm. seeking. It happens quite easily that he only sees the thing that he is seeking, that he is unable to find anything, unable to absorb anything, because he is only thinking of the thing he is seeking, because he has a goal, because he is obsessed with his goal. Seeking means to have a goal, but finding means to be free, to be receptive, to have no goal. You, O oh worthy one, are perhaps indeed a seeker, for in striving towards your goal, you do not see many things that are under your nose. So striving toward the goal prevents you from seeing what is there, seeing what else is on the path. And this can be actually <laughs> quite helpful. If we were just talking about the science of goal setting and not the, mm -hmm. like the spirituality of goal setting as well, or the, these uh, also psycho-spiritual transpersonal uh, viewpoints of, uh, of the importance of being here now <laughs> and, and not mm -hmm. making life all about goal-oriented behavior and outcomes, then we would see that goals help us ignore the obstacles so we can plow through them. And, um, you know, there is a science of goal setting and there is evidence to guide how we might want to most effectively accomplish something. And those are important in our modern, that's important in our modern day life if that doesn't become what life is all about. Right. Especially once you climb Maslow's hierarchy, mm -hmm. um, it's hard. It's hard to talk about goals and motivation without talking about Maslow. Um, and I've been talking a lot about this book, Transcend, by Scott Kaufman, psychologist Scott Barry Kaufman, mm -hmm. um, where you know I learned a lot of things about Maslow reading his book that I didn't know before, like the idea that that uh, the pyramid was not a Maslow's idea. That was somebody else who put it, his hierarchy of needs in pyramid form. Um, but yeah, it wasn't Maslow's idea. And uh, the idea that there is something beyond self-actualization, we can get into it, or you can just go read the book, folks. Hmm. Um, and that is transcendence. But yeah, those we have to meet certain basic needs uh, before we can really move on to those more uh, you know, transcendent needs. Yeah. I like that. Um, 
I like looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, when plotted as a pyramid. I know that's not how he initially described it, but um, I like looking at it as the first four layers of that pyramid, like the, the physiological, the safety, even the love and belonging, even the esteem. Those ones are more uh, needs that are unmet and we're motivated to get mm -hmm. met. Um, but that mm -hmm. higher, that top of the pyramid, um, you could look at as your higher self needs. Um, that's when uh, there's an inborn desire to become all one can be or to become self-actualized. And uh, you're more fueled by these intrinsic, uh, you know, values of contributing and continuing to grow. That's a really useful uh, distinction between those deficiency needs versus being needs yeah. or growth promoting needs, right? Being and becoming. In fact, I have a quote here from Maslow about this. Um, so Abraham Maslow says, even if all these basic needs are satisfied, we may still often, if not always, expect that a new discontent and restlessness will soon develop unless the individual is doing what he individually is fitted for. A musician must make music, an artist must paint, a poem, a poet must write if he is to be ultimately at peace with himself. What a man can be, he must be. He must be true to his own nature. This need we may call self-actualization. It refers to a man's desire for self-fulfillment, namely to the tendency for him to become actualized in what he is potentially. Yeah. This tendency might be phrased as the desire to become more and more what one idiosyncratically is, to become everything that one is capable of becoming. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, oh, I love that. And I think it's, it's a risk that we all face of getting stuck in the lower rungs you know, understandably, life life is tough. You know, we're all in, uh, we all struggle, and we all have, uh, you know, times when it's impossible to even think about getting to those higher order needs. But, but uh, even remembering some of it in times of struggle can help us like transcend the, the struggle. Like I like to ask people I'm working with, like, when's the last time you mastered something new? You know, most people haven't mm -hmm. for a while because they're stuck in fixing some of those lower rung things and putting out fires on working out where do I belong or like just dealing with uncertainty that's crippling from an anxiety standpoint or like asking yourself, what are you contributing to the world, to your relationships, to your communities, to your surroundings, to the earth? Um, because I do believe that it can be done simultaneously, even when we have work to do on the lower rungs. And, and Maslow even qualified that. He was like, you know, I know my earlier writings felt like these were sequential steps you have to go through, but, um, but he later made a disclaimer in his life that, you know, they don't all have to be done for you to touch into self-actualization. Right. Yeah, and you'll dip down, right? You'll be in self-actualization mode and being mode. And then um, something will happen, right? A loved one will abandon you or you'll have a breakup or something like that. And then you're, you're back down to love and belonging and trying to solve the equation at that level. Or you'll get rejected in some other way. You'll, get, you'll lose a job and your esteem needs. 
and your safety needs will all of a sudden be uh, unmet. You'll need to dip down back there. But I think self-actualization, this, this being is also like a worldview that I think people can have, even if they are still busy about the business of meeting those deficiency needs. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? This is just sort of me thinking out loud about this. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, uh, I think that, um, meaning making that self-actualization work, that growth and contribution, um, is one of the secret weapons we have at our disposal to get, um, to feel less stuck and mired down by all the demands of day-to-day -day life that aren't going away necessarily, you know, or even, mm -hmm. even the things like the uncertainty COVID shows up and all of a sudden, um, people get an anxiety button push. They didn't know they had, um, understandably, or, mm -hmm. you know, you lose a job or you, lose some friends, you start to question belonging and other things like that. Um, it's a, it's a cycle of, uh, learning and growing and keeping the transpersonal or the tip of Maslow's period pyramid at, um, in mind through the process, uh, makes it all feel more meaningful and manageable. Yeah. So my thinking out loud, it was prompted by some points that Coffin makes in his book Transcend about this hierarchy. Uh, and I wrote down one, a quote from his book about it. So Kaufman says, considering the writings of Maslow and modern psychological research relating to self-actualization and the heights of human nature, I propose the following definition of healthy transcendence. Healthy transcendence is an emergent phenomenon resulting from the harmonious integration of one's whole self in the service of cultivating the good society. So you're integrating your whole self, faults and all, desire to meet deficiency needs and self-actualization motives with the good of society. So, you know, it's not just about you. It's not just about you and being. It's about you and being in the context of greater society for a greater purpose, the greater whole. So in a way you transcend those deficiency needs, uh, at least being stuck there and maybe even transcending self-actualization. Yeah. And that's what the, the process is about, right? Uh, moving up this pyramid, um, even though it's not a linear stepwise, absolute black and white process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, like if you look at it from another perspective, like let's look at um, in Native American cultures, it's a circle, like a medicine wheel um, that guides some of one's progress or vision quest, like, you know, both referring to the legendary journey an individual might take as they come of age, but also and initiate into adulthood, but also something I believe can be referenced and used like uh, the medicine wheel idea as a mandala to like repeatedly remember who we are and where we're going like a compass um where you know a medicine wheel just to rewind a bit you know might have four directions um and you know there might be in a direction an animal it could represent domains of yourself like mental physical spiritual emotional and uh you mark the like the goal is to uh 
like reconnect with your true nature and these these like directions on a compass um, you might begin in the south the serpent path where you go to like shed the things of the past you're holding on to and in the north it might be like a, a dragon path to discover wisdom from the divine or the ancestors and then an eagle path of the east to take a flight um, like metaphorical flight um, back to one's home and exercise these lessons in one's life um, so yeah i think like you can use these kind of things whatever your framework in is if you're stuck in your head um, you can go back to this or you can burn some sage come back to the now your physical is out of whack um, you know we have we have tools for that but looking at the the big picture, the balance, and keeping the eye on this, like, you know, this really meaningful piece of the pyramid of of self-actualization. And I don't know if that made any sense whatsoever <laughs> as a disclaimer. It did. I'll tell you I'll tell you what it made me think of is this sort of expand and contract that I think is important in life as you laser focus maybe on a goal that you've set. Um, but then every once in a while, then expanding, taking that, you know, coming home to yourself, taking that 50,000 foot view. Is this still the North star I want to be following? Yeah. Um, and you, you don't want to get stuck in self questioning necessarily, but you also don't want to be blindly following something that you think is supposed to be the purpose of your life or that will give you happiness only to discover 10 years later that you're miserable. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I need to get on a little, soapbox here for a sec not even a soapbox i need to like confess on behalf of the medical profession that you know our western medical view is a bit messed up right in our modern worldview mm. we have this medical model of like antagonism or like doctor fighting illness to eradicate it but like if you look at what we're talking about like a see in native american cultures a doctor medicine woman medicine person forms a relationship with the whole world, the life world of the individual, not just sickness, but harmony, lack of harmony, harmony, disease, meaning what's out of harmony. And, and these processes then bring one back to one's true nature, like a, a remembering what it really means to be human, like remembering, you know, what really matters, like how we show up in the world, how we treat one another, how our place in nature, remembering that, like, I don't know, the infinity of a soul and parts may come and go, illnesses come and go, struggles come and go. But uh, this place beyond uh, all that, beyond the struggles, beyond this human realm where we dream, we meditate, we have these awakenings, these spiritual inspirations. Um, I think that's how our consciousness really like grows, evolves, remembers its place in the universe. Yeah. In harmony with, you know, others, other humans, but the world with whatever divine or source or God energy you, you believe in. Yeah. You got me thinking here, Reed, the, uh, what it means to be human was a phrase you used. So to be, what it means to be human is to be in harmony with these things. And our Western individualistic, like modern Western mm -hmm. individualism, individualism is great in some ways, but maybe has led to a disconnect 
from what we ought to be in harmony with. Yeah, and I know we've meandered uh, away from this uh, how to set goals and what is motivation, but uh, I think it's an important big picture perspective to take as we go into that delicate territory of, uh, yeah, how to set goals well um, with the disclaimer that it's not um, the goals that are most important or we need to check the goals with our real values. Well, I will go ahead and make the claim that this meander is not even a meander, that this is precisely where you need to start when you're making goals is with your values, like you just said. Otherwise, you're sort of off on a fool's errand or what will ultimately become a fool's errand. Not that you can't learn from that thing and not that you have to totally know who you are and where you want to go in life before you set goals. Life is is a never-ending experiment. You're never totally finished. Um, so yeah, I think even, you know, Kaufman even says this, I wrote this part down from his book too, that, uh, his view of transcendence, uh, is not about leaving any parts of ourselves or anyone else behind or singularly rising above the rest of humanity. Healthy transcendence is not about being outside of the whole or feeling superior to the whole, but being a harmonious part of the whole of human existence. Just like you were saying, Reed, he also says it's also not a level any human ever actually achieves, Mm -hmm. but is a North star for all of humanity. In a nutshell, healthy transcendence involves harnessing all that you are in the service of realizing the best version of yourself so that you can help raise the bar for the whole of humanity. So enlightenment isn't attainable. I don't know that it's a box that you check. I, I think like we've talked about before, it's a, it's like tuning an instrument. Yeah. You know, if you've ever, had a musical, especially a string instrument, it is its nature to fall out of tune. And so you have to deliberately bring it back into tune so it stays in harmony and you can create beautiful music with it. And I feel like human beings are often the same way. You know, we are subject to entropy and we fall out of tune. We have so many competing motives and drives. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, this topic on this episode, in this episode is sometimes we have drives and motives that are a bit misguided and out of harmony with the things you've talked about and it can lead to suffering. Yeah. And I like the metaphor. I have this ukulele in the other room that uh, is now finally starting to keep its tune for more than just a few days, because when I first acquired it, um, these new strings just would fall out of tune so fast, but it's another interesting thing to think about as we, as we train ourselves and practice um living in accordance with our values you know we lay down those tracks um those ruts in a road to make it more natural and easy to follow that same path even though we will slip out of it now and then like you said i'm going to take this ukulele metaphor and run with it probably too far so um Hmm. i've said in the podcast before that i played the cello in high school and when you get new strings on a big string instrument like the cello you put it in tune and there are a couple of ways it can fall out of tune. One is the pegs will slip a bit, but the other is the new strings will stretch. So, you know, when, when you're in the process of trying to develop a new skill set or become, or really embody a new character trait, you'll put those pegs or those strings in tune, but because they're new, they'll, they'll stretch. You'll go back to your old ways. Um, and it requires continual repetitive retuning before like you said, with ruts before the strings are more comfortable 
being in that stretched position. And then they'll fall out of tune a lot, a lot less often. So a funny way of saying, like we talked about in our habits episode recently, that when you're setting goals to create a new skill, develop a new skill or create a new character trait, it takes repetition, but over time it'll settle in. Yeah. And that, that, this is where some of the like neuroscience of motivation and goal setting comes into play, or even like the stages of change, um, trans theoretical model by Prochaska and De Clemente that mm -hmm. has been around for decades. And we reference sometime, um, because like that as an example was developed, um, when looking at people who want to quit smoking and the, who does and doesn't, and what are the differences? And it is about one's readiness, like where you are in this stage of change model, um, your, um, not just recognition of the problem, but readiness to change and intention and emotional connection to the target. Um, and then you can use some of these like habit hacks and motivation hacks to uh, get out of these stuck places that aren't in accordance with your values, for example. Right. I like that readiness point because to me it calls to my mind uh, compassion, self-compassion. Yeah. Because we can sometimes be really hard on ourselves for not – uh, accomplishing our goals. I mean, how many new year's resolutions have I beat myself up for not sticking with? And it might just be, I made bad goals, bad in the sense that I wasn't ready or I didn't resource myself well enough, or they weren't really in alignment with where I was trying to head. But yeah, that readiness idea is a good way to remind oneself that it is okay. It's okay. If you fall short, and you might just, maybe you weren't ready. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, if we were to look at ourselves through this lens of those six stages of change, you enter at the pre-contemplation stage, like at the beginning, you're not really fully acknowledging that there's a problem behavior that needs to be changed. And then you acknowledge the there's a problem, but you're not totally ready or sure you want to make it. And then there's this whole phase of, preparation determination you're getting ready to change and then there's the action like changing behavior and that can be that can take a lot of effort so it's good you got to actually be in that stage for real and then there's still the maintenance and there's still what do you do with relapses because like growth recovery is not a linear trajectory right not a linear trajectory. And that can be frustrating, I think, for a lot of us. It certainly was for me when I was younger and, and now, you know, to a certain degree. I just expected to just to progress in a stepwise fashion, mm -hmm. a very linear stepwise fashion. Part of that, I think, is a re that is a result of just uh, the system I was plugged into, being born in, a, in America with access to the public school system where you have grades and you have rubrics and you achieve these grades and you, you know, grade one, two, three, four, then get to college. And it's like, oh, all I got to do is pass these classes. And then I level up almost. There's like a gamification aspect to it that really wow. appealed to me because I was, was and am a video game player. But, um, but ultimately those games end, I got about as much schooling as was reasonable for a human being. I mean, I, I got a PhD and then mm -hmm. got a license and then got a job, but then what? And I, 
a lot of people just will continue to accumulate uh, levels, so to speak. Well, now I have this oh, wow. certification or this postdoc or whatever. Um, but yeah, every once in a while, I just take a breath, step back. What is the epping point? <laughs> Why am I doing all this stuff? Mm-hmm. Back to the North Star idea. Yeah, and I think we talked about this the other day, and I even did this with uh, uh, a client or some clients the other week is a values card sorting task. Um, you know, I, mm. I think we each have different but probably similar approaches to doing this, but like having a list of values on cards. I did it with a family who flew into town for a course of like family ketamine therapy. And uh, I just felt mm-hmm. like it would be a good um, perspective to start the week with and like checking in with our values, what's most important to us as individuals and as a family unit, for example, and opening up that process to one another um, in the spirit of vulnerability and getting to know each other. Um, and I do that personally on a regular basis, just revisiting this because uh, we as humans change. We shed our skins and and are on this nonlinear growth trajectory. Right. So I'm curious, Reed, if, if you'd be willing to share, um, you mentioned using that value sort and returning to value evaluation for yourself. Um, as you look back on your life, what have been the driving mm-hmm. forces for you? Like what you, you're an accomplished guy. You've, you've accomplished a lot of things. What drives you? What motivates you? Yeah. And it, it's so, it's such an interesting question is why I chuckle because, um, you know, there are these, uh, stages of life of, uh, where we're more in a striving mode and more in a kind of contributing, giving back, uh, generosity mode when, when we're more Mm -hmm. concerned about what other people think or the appearance of things or our accomplishments and when we're less so. Um, and I think my life so far has followed, uh, like, uh, a similar path to many where, you know, I start out with this, uh, gung ho spirit of, I'm going to change the world. And I'm going to get, like you said, all these degrees, you know, I did an MD and threw on an MBA on top of it at the exact same time with no extra time by doing night school. I was taking 50 credits at once. And then, and then I'm in Mm -hmm. residency and I'm like, wait a second, I can get a fellowship done. I could do a postdoc too. And like, I almost got a PhD, but made myself stop (laughs) because it was getting silly, um, (laughs) of, uh, that goal oriented behavior became almost like a, you know, a trap. Um, but seeing the values shift, um, over time is even like, even, uh, shifting from seeing this value of contributing, making a contribution to, um, from big impact, um, moonshots I may have had before to like starting close to home or starting with like work on myself, uh, work on the, the relationships with those around me and what I can do on a daily basis with my environment and extending it outward from there. But I think in general, I've let go of a lot of the, the, uh, need for acceptance need for like the the achievement uh maybe it's all the psychedelic uh ceremonies that have 
dissolve some default mode pieces of my ego that I'm uh, thankful for. Mm. I appreciate you opening up about it. I think, you know, a lot of the things we, we could cover in an episode like this are easily Googleable. Like we could go over smart goals, yeah. how to set goals, you know, the neuroscience of motivation, you know, check out Andrew Huberman. He's got a lot of great stuff yeah. on that. Um, but what people can't Google is why did Reed Robison get an MD and an MBA? <laughs> right. Um, and to me, that's, that's, I don't know. That's why I want to listen to a podcast is I want to, to feel validated. I want to listen to somebody I look up to somebody who's accomplished incredible things and see their humanity. So I appreciate you letting me pry it out. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the question too. Um, it reminds me of like even my first ever ayahuasca journey, like go down to the jungle seeking something like I want to find mm -hmm. tools for the patients I work with. And sure, wanted to check a box of like, try this crazy medicine, wanted some new added awareness, perspective, self-understanding, but, um, but uh, you know, going into these things with, even with the goal that got me there, um, you know, when there's a spirit of openness and curiosity, like I didn't, you know, I got a lot more than I was seeking, right? I wasn't looking for mm -hmm. God or answers to spirituality in the jungle. Um, but like I was essentially found by like a newfound spirituality. Like um, you could even say that like this God, however you want to define it, found me a bit lost, you know, and asking these questions um, that I didn't even know I had, like these existential questions about who the hell am I or what am I or what is my place in this vast universe um and then these like answers that are also surprising and I didn't previously utter like wow we there is an infinity and we're all part of it or spirit does exist even if I can't freaking measure it yeah to me that's been one of the incredibly valuable aspects of psychedelic experiences um helping me gain perspective on what has motivated me up until now. And I'm grateful for my ego. I'm grateful for the insecurities that I have that have in large part been responsible for what I have been able to accomplish in my life. That's been a lot of my, especially a lot of my motivation fuel early in life was I don't like me. And so I need to find a way to make sure other people like me. Mm -hmm. So I, I become a really good listener or I become, you know, I develop my sense of humor, make people laugh mm -hmm. or I impress people, right. By, um, you know, developing all these skills. And I'm, I'm, I think I feel similar to you and that at this point in my life and hopefully I have a lot more life to live. Um, I'm starting to care a little less mm -hmm. about how I'm perceived, starting to care a little bit less about whether or not people accept me and starting to care a little bit more about giving. And I've always been a giver, yeah. but um, to me, that's a lot of why I, I love doing this podcast. I want people to have free access to helpful information. I have benefited so much from free access to helpful information. So 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've got goals for the podcast. I've got goals for my professional life. I have goals for my personal life with my spouse and as a father and as a human being in a community. Um, I've got goals related to making sure this psychedelic renaissance to whatever, to whatever degree I can influence it. My tiny little sphere, um, is, uh, really, really it's unperturbed, unstopped and very, very helpful. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you know what we were talking about earlier with Maslow's hierarchy and the pyramid is coming back full circle. Um, as I'm, remembering that uh, first ayahuasca experience as an example, going in like mo externally motivated to f seek some things, but coming out like with this like more intrinsic sense of peace, like knowing, oh, everything is as it should be. Or like I felt like a new like connection to self, to other souls um and uh saw like some of the ways that our striving gets in the way of our humanity or our connection like um how you know what about you know nature and savoring the food and remember where it comes from what about like going to sleep and waking up with the rhythms of the earth rather than like a a 75 hard, like get to the gym at 4am at all costs and ignore what your body's telling you, or, um, you know, that there's a more natural mm -hmm. way. And that, like something was awakened or at least remembered that, uh, you know, it's, it's peaceful to get back to that place, that harmony with ourselves and each other and our, our surroundings, our purpose, our life. Yeah. It's making me think of our episode on the middle way or the middle path. And we did have an episode on purpose too. Um, makes me wonder, we've talked a lot about equanimity, the ability to just sort of be calm and composed mm -hmm. and have evenness of temper, no, no matter what's going on around you and what allows a person to be equanimous. It's a connection, I think, to this knowing, uh, an awakening, a remembering that no matter what, all things are as they are. And we'll be okay. And we'll be okay doesn't mean you're going to be safe. Doesn't mean you're not going to be harmed or that you'll be taken advantage of or exploited or, or killed. Or it doesn't mean life will always proceed without suffering. That's not at all what it means. It means, I mean, I don't know what the freaking purpose of life is, but it means that our nature is to be at peace to some extent if we surrender to it. So you've just hit a, a funny button in me, just, uh, just a distracting thought about equanimity. Cause I really love this concept of, uh, mm -hmm. I'm just, uh, thinking of, uh, the different ways we can awaken and like, um, grow as humans, like spiritually grow. And, um, I remember once being struck by these two different paths of, of, um, spiritual, say progress one like if you were to map it out on a mathematical equation bear with me i know this is a weird tangent but um so <laughs> let's say spiritual purification equals pain times equanimity or spiritual purification equals pleasure times equanimity so you can follow a path of pleasure of like ecstatic bliss enlightenment music 
tantric practices um and uh and learn and grow and say purify spiritually you can also follow that old asceticism like uh like on the extremes you got like self-flagellation or uh Mm -hmm. or just like the extreme discipline you know the pain and when you have equanimity in with it then it can result in that getting somewhere but uh um the equanimity is this attitude of like yeah of going with the flow of whatever it is whether it's pleasure or pain and not getting caught up by it swept up by it entirely attached to it you know <laughs> speaking of weird buttons to be pressed uh <laughs> what you just described pressed a weird button in my mind something i'm i'm curious about and i want to learn more about is I've, I've started to meet people who are into uh, like bondage and the riding the lightning between pain and pleasure in a sexual mm-hmm. context. And so this equanimity, we have ex- extreme ecstasy, you have intense pain. And there's a stereotype that people who are into S&M are all traumatized and they're just reliving their trauma. But uh, when you actually meet people from this community or the kink community or whatever, the bondage community, you find that a lot of them are like some of the most enlightened, <laughs> enlightened and calm and equanimous people you'll ever meet. And so I, I don't know what, again, I'm not totally prepared to talk about <laughs> this cause I'm still learning. Um, but you know, it's an interesting observation of people who have found ways to play around in, uh, both, yeah. both, the yin yang of pain and pleasure. So, no, I think it's, it's a really, uh, it's a really good, um, another way to look at what I was trying to like deconstruct mathematically and, and describe is that pain, um, is often there to like shake us awake or it can be a great teacher and, um, other humans. It's only through our our relationships with others that unresolved suffering can be transformed into loving connection. And as we go through life, we don't talk to each other in their, our true natures for the most part, we're talking to each other's like projections and um, your perception of me has a reflection of you in it. And my reaction to you mm-hmm. is, you know, through the lens of, like an awareness of me. <laughs> so uh, in the in that uh, like kind of existential kink world, there's, uh, you know, probably an, an equanimity and an appreciation and understanding about the, the pleasure and pain, both being um, valuable paths for kind of waking up and understanding ourselves and each other. Right, right. Well, Reed, we could talk about this topic forever, I feel like, but I uh, actually have a meeting to prepare for. So any final thoughts on drive, motivation, actualization, values, or goal setting? Well, um, let's see how to sum it up. Oh, my, my favorite definition of success um, is from Earl mm-hmm. Nightingale that uh, I know it's presented in a lot of the goal setting literature and and striving worlds but but i i love this it's um he said success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal um it's not attaining it it's the 
it's the stepwise project progress, even nonlinear towards it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's, I was about to say, there's nothing so depressing as accomplishing a goal. Um, pe people often experience this sort of letdown. You accomplish your goal. You feel great for a little while. And then there's a letdown afterward. How many, how many billionaires do we know that are also really miserable? So I like that. I like that. And quote. making errors is actually good for our brains. It's like in the spirit of neuroplasticity, the errors actually make the brain mm -hmm. more plastic. And uh, therefore, like the state of frustration is a key <laughs> ingredient to learning. Yeah, we're adaptation machines and we need something to adapt to. So we need those errors to teach ourselves. Well, how about you, Steve? Any last uh, insights, words of wisdom on this uh, meandering topic? Well, to put a bookend on it, I started by talking about this mentor of mine that uh, was sort of frightening, him away, frightening me away from setting goals. And I do feel like there was wisdom in there. And I feel like we've, we've sort of meandered around some of those points of wisdom. Um, but I will say now in my life, I feel like I have a better relationship to goal and achievement. But um, like I said before, it, it will never end this journey that I'm on to find ways to feel at peace inside my own soul, inside my own body, inside my own mind. Um, and also a la uh, Abraham Maslow, transcend and self-actualize and just be so that I can contribute and help. So how's that for a, a word salad of, <laughs> of concluding thoughts? So I was just going to say that your comment, uh, I think, uh, completes this uh, circle back to this idea of uh, goal setting, maybe is more like intention setting or finding what's mm -hmm. true for you at the core of your heart and connecting with it, bringing awareness to it so it's activated and it can emerge into the light. Like even like the Tony Robbins quotes about goal setting, it's more like to make the invisible visible or like to birth this intention into real life um, by using awareness as the bridge and your actions to bring it out into um, the real um, physical world. So anyway, I'll, uh, I'll uh, leave it at that because you have a meeting to go to. I do. Well, thank you as always, Reed. Appreciate Likewise. it. Likewise. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, scathing criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, 
You can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.